Hello and welcome to Centre Stage, the podcast of the International Centre for Women Playwrights, a virtual non-profit organisation dedicated to supporting women playwrights around the world. This series celebrates the work of members by showcasing excerpts of their work, followed by an interview where we can hear about their ideas and sometimes their process. I'm Jenny Monday, and in this episode of Centre Stage, we have Christine Emmett reading excerpts from her plays Dying in Pittsburgh, The Man in the Wood, and Old Hippie. Christine is one of our member playwrights living in the United States. To begin with, we have Christine reading from the play excerpts. Christine's work is copyright, and if you're interested in performing any of her plays, you can contact her through womenplaywrights.org or you can find her through her Facebook page. Here is Christine reading. She introduces each piece in turn. Dying in Pittsburgh, a one-woman play about Eleanor Doucet, who stands alone in the theatre in her last days and talks to the theatre ghosts about what an actress is. I had my ego... What artist doesn't? The path of the artist is not the same as that of the saint. There are those who said, I had no looks at all, but I could charm them into thinking I was beautiful for the right part. What is the theatre to do with beauty? All actresses are in love with death. Nothing moves us like our dying. We are vampires on the death of others. We suck out their essence. The Man in the Wood from Fragments of a Witch's Journal. He showed me his marks which matched my own, but he had differences on his body. He was shaggy. At first I thought him a bear. He spoke my language and gave me a fruit of such sweetness I thought only of sucking it dry. And then he showed me how to fly in the heavens there with my loyal raven. He showed me other things too. He made me promise not to tell anyone. I did not see anyone to tell his secrets to. He had a smell like fire about him, and his touch was like moss against me. When he kissed me, he put his long, forked tongue down into the cavity of my throat. It dried out my mouth. After he left, I ran to the spring that bubbled out of the hillside and drank until my belly swelled. I looked for him today under the tree. I have been looking for him for years now. My flights through the skies made me know he was no dream come to me at midday. Since then I have had other lovers. But he was the first and the only one to make me cry out with a bewilderment of fear and joy until the meadows sprung their red poppies. 
he said his name was Lucifer. Old hippie, a monologue. The flowers died. Well, that's winter for you, the death of my flowers. Not where they've gone, they're here. They're, they're dead, not even preserved, not even under glass. And ginger root, too, all of it, gone. But yes, I grew more responsible into a job, into a marriage, into kids. That's how I grew. <laughs> Tired of going to funerals for other people, dead like the flowers. Flower power lasts an hour. And then they found my real name, my name before I took to the underground. And then they locked me up for crimes against society. I waved my arms at a cop during a peace rally years ago. They said I shot him. I had no gun, just the power of the flower. My husband was shocked at my arrest. He'd fought in the Vietnam War and never suspected. And my kids thought all I ever did in the 60s was sew quilt patches and bake brownies perfectly harmless. And I knew, and the cop knew, it wasn't me, but I got blamed. Briefly, the newspapers wrote me up as some kind of Joan of Arc turned evil. And there was a bid for film rights. There was the death of my father. He had a heart attack during the trial. Now, while I want to make love, not war, my life is spent inside a prison with so many other ladies. We make paper flowers for senior centers. I just can't escape those blossoms. Now we have a short interview with Christine, and I started with the question, would you like to tell me a bit about the play Dying in Pittsburgh? Ever since I was in high school and started working in theatre, I always loved Eleanor Doucet, the stories about her, because it seemed that she and I both had an idea of what theater should be. She wasn't glamorous. She wasn't a person who sought celebrity, but she was a person who tried to dig deeply into her characters without the makeup, without anything else but the soul of the person. So I wrote this play, Dying in Pittsburgh, because that's where she died. And this was supposed to be the day in the play that she went to the theater and caught pneumonia because it was very cold and very wet. And she's talking to the theater ghosts. And the little excerpt that I did explains what she feels about actresses and even actors, that there is a lot of 
showmanship, but what you need are the people that are under the showmanship. It's just a little uh, comment, I guess, about how she thought theater should be done. And she talks for a long time to these theater ghosts about her life and her loves and her hates. And it's almost like a statement that she makes. And I've done this play uh, twice or so. Um, very few people knew about Eleanor Duse. Everybody knows about Sarah Bernhardt, who was her great rival. But one time when I was doing it in New Jersey, of all places, two little girls came up to me afterwards, and I say little because I'm very old, and they were teenagers. And they said, we came down just to see the play about Eleanor Duse. And I thought, wonderful, it's like looking into my life years ago when I was a teenager. I would have come that far to see a play about her. So that's all I'm saying about her. <laughs> um, okay. What about um, what happens in the play um, just after that excerpt that you read? Then she starts talking about how everybody thought she was not beautiful enough. She was not interesting enough. But when she got on a stage, she was 20 feet tall and very interesting because she took the heart and the soul and the skins of the people she played. And she does excerpts from various plays that she's done, including Camille, including Antony and Cleopatra. Um, she talks for a long time after that. That's right at the beginning of the play. And how does the play conclude or is that um, giving too much away? Well, the, the play concludes when the company starts to come in. She's there ahead of the theater company. Um, and so she's done talking to the theater ghosts and is ready to talk to the human beings that come in. But she's very sick. I, she was actually operating on one lung at that point. And of course, this is right before she dies because she's dying in Pittsburgh and she starts to die in this theater and they take her to the hotel, but she never really revives. And Christine, when you say that um, you've done this play a couple of times, are you saying that you played the part, so you wrote the play for yourself and performed it? Yes, I did. I didn't know who else wanted to do it or would do it. Um, I often write material for myself. As I've gotten older, I realize that, and I'm not living in the middle of a, a world of theater, that there are things that I want to do that and say that if I want to do and say them, I have to write them for myself. 
And that is a very good strategy, I think, for people who want to perform, um, you know, and perform things that are suitable for their own um, bodies and acting style. Um, the, the second excerpt that you uh, recorded was called The Man in the Wood. Would you mind telling me a little, little bit about that play? Oh, that's from Fragments of a Witch's Journal, which I did not write for myself. I wrote it actually for a group of ladies out in um, Denver. I used to live in Denver. Um, and they did a Halloween show every year. But they said it was too long and complicated to include in their show. And I put it aside. And then I thought when I was doing fringe festivals down in Philadelphia. I lived near Philadelphia. I thought it would be a wonderful one-person piece. A woman who comes across a manuscript in the forest that's written by a witch. And this was one of the excerpts from it that I recorded for you. It's, it's sort of a progression of her life as a witch. A witch, in my estimation, was someone who lived outside the tenets of society. It doesn't have a judgmental quality to it. She was born and finds herself, um, I would say, mothered by another woman who is a witch as she grows up. And then the woman is taken away by the townspeople and she is left to fight for herself and learn for herself. And she, in the course of it, doesn't go to the city where she is told by this mother figure, don't go to the city, stay in the woods, stay outside of society. And she meets a man there one day who seems to, in some ways, have the same marks and emotions as she does. Um, of course, she learns his name is Lucifer, but he leaves her and she finds she is pregnant and she is, uh, I would say, mothered again by a coven of women who fly through and take her under their wing and show her the ways of living without society. And she becomes um, a woman, of, of, well, a medicine woman, I guess I would say. It sounds like um, to perform this play, there might need to be interesting props or interesting staging. Have you performed this piece? Well, I performed it as a fringe festival. And I did it. We, my husband does a lot of the sets that I do. And he done, it did a very minimalistic set with the tree trunk, which has the manuscript sitting on it and some um, evidence of a, of a woodland. And she comes, the actress, it's done by one actress, finds the manuscript and starts reading it to the audience who then watch her become 
the character as she reads. 12 different monologues in it. Oh, my goodness, that sounds very interesting. Um, it sounds to me like these two excerpts that you've recorded for us are about two strong women characters. Um, is that something that you like to do in your playwriting? Well, I think that we are oh, strong women characters. We need to know that women are strong. I don't think you can write enough plays like that. I like to play women with flaws, but I like to play women that can go on in spite of their flaws, and sometimes because even because of their flaws. And the third uh, excerpt that you read for us is called Old Hippie. Would you like to tell me a bit about that play? Oh, well, that's just a stand-on-alone monologue, and it's um, something that I wrote just one day when I was writing, I think it's interesting as we go through our life's journey of how we change. Obviously, my time period coincided with hippiedom, although I wasn't a hippie. But um, I've, I've learned that people 20, 30, 40 years ago are very, very different. And how they look at their life today but they have consequences from times before. Old Hippie is a woman who was caught in the hippie movement when she was young, who thought that it was beautiful and wonderful, but it certainly wasn't what society wanted. I remember that time very well from my life, and she is jailed and spends her life basically uh, for a crime that she says she did not commit, but she ran away from it and it found her and she was punished for it. And so there she is years later in jail talking about the irony of real flowers and flower power. And she's in jail there making paper flowers that's what she does are you able to tell me how this play concludes or is that again maybe um giving away too much information i i'm not sure i give it a conclusion because she doesn't change that much she tells her story and in her story she goes through emotions from the past she lost her husband and her children who didn't even know that she'd ever been involved in these protests and that she was accused of killing a cop. She went underground and was found out years later. And she's rather resigned, I guess, to being there in prison with the idea of, you know, flowers and flower power in her head and how it's been changed into just the cheap making of flowers for this um well a job like people have in prison it seems that uh i mean these three excerpts again as i said before are three strong women characters what how is it that you find something that 
uh, makes you want to write a play about it? I like to write plays about people who don't take the main highway, that take some of the byways of life. I guess even Eleanor Ducey, who became a big celebrity in spite of herself, took her own road. I admire women that take their own road because we're usually shown the road that was put there by a patriarchal society. And then we have to walk it whether we like it or not. There's something interesting about finding the little pathways that weren't the main road. And with regard to your process or the way you go about writing a play, do you have the same process each time or how do you set about writing a play? Oh, sometimes I just put down one line and then don't write again on it for a long, long time. Um, I think that it's very difficult for me to finish plays because the endings are ambiguous usually. And sometimes I just go away from the play and then I have a dream about it. And the dream shows me the ending. And that's usually the road I take because that must be a deeper thought than the one I'm thinking when I'm sitting there chewing my knuckles saying, can I ever finish this? So is there anything that is the same each time you write a play? No, because usually I write on about three things at once. I've been writing plays a lot lately for the 365 Women a Year project. And I have, I'm forced by deadlines to finish them, as anyone who's written plays for them will know that Jesse has an idea that we have to have it in by midnight on December 31st. Um, so in that way, I write those plays differently. But usually, I mean, they're about people that we've all studied or haven't studied, but studied to write the play. So in a way, we know the ending for those. Well, this year, I'm working on three women. I finished um, Kirsten Flagstad, who was an opera singer. Um, I'm in the middle of writing a play about Judith Molina, who was the head of the Living Theatre. Um, I actually met her very briefly. And um, also Violet Oakley, who was a woman who was a painter and an activist who lived in the Philadelphia area. I'm going to do that probably at the end of the summer. I'm working uh, now to get a movie together of a piece that I wrote and we're filming it in June and then I'll get to Violet Oakley. And do you want to say a little bit about the film? Well, I wrote a play for the National Park Service. I live near Hopewell National Monument and it's a, a site for the ironworking industry. 
And I met a woman when I was doing Lettuce and Lovage locally, and she wanted someone who would talk about stoves. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, I stopped doing that about a few years ago. I, I toured in it for a while, and I had written it for another actress, and she had toured in it. And we took it to many places. It was called From Out the Fiery Furnace. It's about 45 minutes long. And it's a woman who was in Hopewell when it was a big, big deal. The ironworking industry in the United States, which was right before the Civil War. People loved the play. We had to turn down a lot of... Uh, dates about it but it's it's the story of a woman who is a composite of many women and they wanted some record of it so we decided to make a film about it because I do not have the stamina to stand there and do this play for 45 minutes anymore I'm in my upper 70s and um I wish I were as active and wonderful as a lot of women in their 70s, but I had to slow down a bit. So we're, we're just filming it now, and then um, it will be on a videotape. And if people want it, they can, they can order it and they can see it. And Christine, when do you think that that will be published or available for the public? Well, we, ha we have um, a deadline for that, too. Uh, Hopewell is uh, celebrating its 250th anniversary on August 7th, and we hope to have actually see uh, DVDs of it out at that time. It's, it's going to be quick. <laughs> is there anything you wanted to say, you know, in, in conclusion about, you know, your process? I would like people to feel that they have something to say. Um, actresses often are always saying other people's words. And it seems to me in talking to women who write plays that they felt eventually after being actresses that they had their own plays inside them. I encourage people to get out and do that. I think we all have stories. Some of them we shouldn't write down, but those we should, I think, are wonderful and maybe different from the traditional things that we are told we are supposed to say or think. That was an interview with Christine Emmett. Christine is one of our members from the United States and I thank her very much for meeting with me via Zoom. Thank you for listening to this podcast and we expect there will be more on the way.